Yeah, so uh, this morning we continue on in our series, uh, Gospel Habits. Uh, we're thinking about how the reality of God and the gospel results in lives that reflect God and the power of the gospel. And this leads to, to healthy habits. We've looked at seven different healthy habits um, over the summer. Habits that glorify God and the power of the Spirit. We're not doing this on our own strength. We're doing it in God's power. Uh, and in the summer, we spent time looking together at a number of these different habits. We began by looking together at courageous faith. Courageous faith. How a faith in God and a belief that he is for us is at the heart of who we are as followers of Jesus. And this faith that we have will lead us along the right path, no matter what it is that life might throw at us. So courageous faith was the first. And then the second habit that we looked at was empowered love. That before we can ever love in a way that pleases God, we must first of all be fully empowered and fueled by God's love for us. It's only when we come to terms with God's love towards us that we can then effectively and fruitfully love other people. And then a few weeks back, Andrew examined what it means to be a people who carry joyful service. Joyful service. We looked at how our service to God and to one another should be joyful because it shows gratitude to Jesus, because it fulfills the will of Jesus, and because it points other people towards the character of Christ. So joyful service was number three. And then last week, we examined the nice, easy subject of total forgiveness. We're called to forgive as God has forgiven us, and we understand how God has forgiven us when we see how far Jesus went to rescue each one of us from all of our sins, past, present, and future. Because ultimately, Jesus cares for us. Jesus loves us. This is an incredible truth. God loved us so much that he forgave us. And so we are called to then forgive other people totally, not partially, but totally, fully and completely, as Jason touched on. And this morning we're thinking about what it means to be a people who are intentionally excellent. Intentionally excellent. And to understand what it means to live a life of excellence as we live for and worship God with all that we are. So intentional excellence is our focus this morning. During our time, I want us just to camp out and focus in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 25. So if you have your Bibles, do turn with me to this passage. The words are going to be up on the screen for us as well. So Colossians 3, and this is a passage we looked at last week as well, just a part of the passage. The Colossians 3, starting in verse 12, Paul writes these words. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are called in one body, rule your hearts, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and don't be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people-pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. 
Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favouritism. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. Well, this morning we're picking out three different verses from this passage which highlight what it means for us to be a people who love God through lives of intentional excellence. So we read in verse 17 of our passage, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then Paul very much echoes this with that same phrase, whatever you do, in verses 23 to 24. So we see, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you'll receive a reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. And these are the verses we're going to hone in on this morning. Uh, Paul here is highlighting the connection between our actions, what we do, and our worship, what's in our heart. It's not just what it is that we do, but why it is that we do it. It's not just what it is we do, but why it is we do it. It's something we've emphasised a lot in this sermon series. What is the condition of the heart that's behind the actions of a person who's trying to live out the Christian life? Because we all try, and, I think most of us would, would try and live out the Christian life, but what is our motive? What is our drive? What is our heart? If you this morning are seeking to live a life that's characterised by following Jesus, why are you doing it? Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for other people? Or, as we see in this passage, are you doing it for the Lord? For the Lord. Understand this morning that the title of, it, of this sermon series is Intentional Excellence. But our excellence does not come out of a focus on being excellent. That can lead to perfectionism and almost a kind of OCD attitude. Our excellence arises when our hearts are right before God. We are excellent when we do what we do, whether in life or in ministry, out of a love for God and a desire to please Him with all that we are. We don't start with excellence. We start with worship, which then naturally leads to, to and results in excellence. So worship leads to excellence. This is our, our big theme this morning. Louis Giglio is a pastor of, of Passion City Church in Atlanta, and he's a founder of the Passion Movement for Young People in the States, which has been running for for 20 odd years and he tells a story of when he was a student many years ago he was working part-time in the Centre for Disease Control Medical Library and he was a photocopy boy in the library he basically photocopied hundreds of articles articles that doctors were needing for their use in any given day that he was working there and his photocopier was in a 4 by 8 room beneath the stairway at the back of the library and the room was full of medical journals that were needing to be copied with particular instructions of what it is he had to do. And it was basically Louis, all these medical journals, and this photocopier in a tiny wee room. And he would copy hour after hour, day after day, the request piled up. He just kept copying, 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 head down, page turned, copy button on, head down, page turned, copy button on. Now, it's no bad thing for us to recognise that this was a boring, a mundane job. Understand, it's not a sin to recognise that something's boring, okay? And it's no bad thing to recognise that this was a difficult job as well. Um, this was, and add to that the fact that no one 
was really recognising what he was doing. This was a job where he was very much by himself. There wasn't much appreciation for what it is he was doing. And it was hard work. It was tough. But God saw what he was doing. And for Giglio, this was a place and a job that he really loved because he used this work that he had been given as an act of worship to God. He very much included photocopying as part of what Paul says in verse 17 in our passage. Whatever you do, that does include photocopying, just a heads up. And you could say that Giglio was doing photocopying, as we read on in verse 17, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And it's safe to say, as we read in verses 23 to 24, Giglio was in fact photocopying from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. He wasn't trying to please the doctors. Well, that was a part of it. Trying to make sure that the doctors had what they needed. But ultimately he was doing it unto the Lord. And he says this about his time as a student photocopier in the medical library. It'll be up on the screen for us. My witness was my work and work was my worship. The way I did my work was possibly even more significant than anything I could do or say. I became, to put it modestly, the master copier. And you know what? I think the way I did my work reflected something good about the character of God. When I left, it took three new employees to match my pace. And who knows, one of those articles might have contributed to the untangling of some global disease. For that, you can thank me later. So I want you to take a moment and I want you just to think about three different activities that you need to do this week. Okay, think about three different things you need to do this week. Think about your week coming up. Think about what it is you have to do, which you would describe as work. And I would ask that one of those three things, or it could be all three of these things, one of those three things you're doing is something that is perhaps boring. Maybe it's something that's, that's difficult. Maybe it's something that deep down you don't really want to do it, but you know you have to do it. So I'm just going to give you a wee minute. Not a full minute, but just a wee minute. Just to think about three different activities you need to do. One of those has to be something you know is, is boring and difficult. So think about those three areas. Now, what would it look like for you to do those things under the authority and the power of Colossians 3 and verse 17? And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What would that look like for you to do those three activities under the authority of verse 17? Imagine in the middle of you doing it, you're praying, God, I'm doing this in the name of your son Jesus. And God, I give thanks to you as I'm doing this right now. Imagine doing that. And what would it look like for you to do these things under the authority and power of Colossians 3 and verses 23 and 24? So the next two verses there. Imagine praying this in the middle of what you're doing next week. That really difficult thing you don't really want to do. God, I'm doing this right now. And as I do it, I'm doing it for you and not for anyone else. Jesus, I'm serving you. I'm serving no one else. Jesus, help me to do this more and more for you, in a manner that glorifies you. Imagine that was your prayer. Understand this morning that this is a pathway to intentional excellence. In the middle of what it is we're doing, we don't focus on being excellent. We focus on worshipping God. And as we worship God and all that we do, then intentional excellence 
will flow out of our lives. Makes sense, does it not? If you worship God in whatever it is that you do, then you will give your absolute all to whatever it is you do, the job at hand, because in your worship, you'll be giving your absolute all to God. You'll have a vision of God as you do these various mundane, difficult and hard tasks. Biblical excellence is not being outstanding or extremely good at something, which is how our dictionary would define excellence. Biblical excellence is giving our very best to God and whatever it is we find ourselves doing, out of a love for him, out of a desire to please him, out of a drive to worship him with all that we are. This is biblical excellence. And I see so much of this being directly applicable to what we're doing in Ridry. I'm going on about Ridry again, but it's just part of the custom in it these days. Yesterday we were literally kicking walls in. We were, we were knocking walls down, removing skirting boards, throwing rubbish into bags, removing wallpaper off the walls, taking doors off our hinges. Now the only way we can be intentionally excellent, intentionally excellent, is if we were doing it in a spirit of worship. Giving God thanks that we get to do this, not that we have to do it, we get to do it. Praising him as we smash things up in Jesus' name. Because it's only when, it's only then will it be work that is excellent both visibly and also invisibly within our hearts. And as we look ahead, as we've turned a bit of a corner, as we think about Ridry, and as we can see the end in sight when it comes to all that we need to do as a team, light at the end of the tunnel, excellence will only ever come out of worship. That's the reality. And praise God that he has all given you an opportunity this week to practice intentional excellence as we continue the work in Ridry. And that's just a, a subtle plug there. But you know what? When you worship God with a mallet or a scraper or a crowbar, something supernatural takes place. You start to experience joy. I'm not making this up. The number of times I've came back from the time in, in Ridry, you know, I've went there thinking... I don't really want to do this. I'd be quite happy just sitting in my house watching TV. But I've came back full of joy. And it's because it's been an opportunity to worship God in the most, most mundane of tasks. Joy in our hearts because of the work we have done, not for anyone else, but for God. Biblically speaking, worship leads to excellence. And this excellence results in joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm aware there's so much overlap here with what Andrew was looking at a few weeks back. Joyful service. And that can only be a good thing for us as a church family. Now, as we think about our passage this morning, and in particular verses 17, 23 and 24, notice that it sits on a particular foundation. And the foundation can be found at the start of chapter 3 in verses 1 to 4. So I want us just to focus in on this foundation because it's so, so important for us as a church family. So in Colossians 3 and verse 1, Paul says this, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul is not just commanding us to worship God and give our all for God and whatever it is that we're doing, independent of who God, God is and who we are. It's not just a separate command, disconnected from, from the, the reality of what God has done for us in our lives. No, he says this, he commands the church to give their all, 
with a prior recognition of all that God had done for the church in Colossae. And there are three things that Paul highlights in verses 1 to 4 of Colossians 3, which I want us to look at. Three things that God has done for this church and for each one of us if we say we have faith in Christ today. And note, this is why intentional excellence is a gospel habit. Because to be excellent is to worship God. And to worship God is to do so in light of the gospel. In light of all that he has done for us. What it is we read about in verses 1 to 4 in Colossians 3. So Paul says first of all in this verse, in verses 1 to 4, in this wee section, God has rescued you. God has rescued you. Verse 1, Paul says, you have been raised with Christ. If you and I have been raised with Christ, then what that means is the death penalty is no longer over us. You see, when we sinned, we experienced separation from God. We stepped into God's wrath and his judgment, which results in death. But when Jesus came to earth as a man, when he took our sin from us by dying in our place on the cross, because of our sin, because of your sin and because of my sin, this meant the death penalty no longer needed to be over us. And when we believe that Jesus has done this for us once and for all, we die to our sin as Christ died for our sin and we are risen to new spiritual life as Christ rose from the dead and into new life. You can therefore say, as Paul says here, I have been raised with Christ. If you have faith in Jesus, you can say as I can say, I've been raised with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. God has rescued you from your sin and he has given you new life in him. And this directs us towards the second thing that Paul says in verses 1 to 4. God is empowering you. So, so God has rescued you. And God today, in the present, is empowering you. God is empowering you. Have a look at the second part of verse 3 and the first part of verse 4. We read, your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life? Christ is your life. Paul here is telling us that for everyone who's a Christian, a follower of Jesus... He is your life. Jesus is your life. God in Christ will empower you to live for him every single day because he is your life. As Samuel Chadwick was famous for saying, the Christian life is hopeless. It's utterly hopeless without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to do the Christian life unless we have the life of Christ in us. And that life of Christ is the Holy Spirit. Praise God that we don't need to muster up or manufacture on our own strength and effort to live this life that God has called us to. It's a life of Christ that enables us to live for him. Can't really get our heads around that if we're honest. Christ in us to then live for Christ. We are in Christ, Christ is in us. It's incredible. So Paul says here, God is empowering you. And that's a reality for every single one of us. God is empowering you right now to be attentive to all that God is saying to you through his word. And from this vantage point, we can then understand the third thing that Paul says to the church in Colossae in verses 1 to 4. Paul effectively says, God will glorify you. God will glorify you. So have a look at what we read in the second part of verse 4. Paul writes, you will also appear with him in glory. So important for us as followers of Jesus to remember and realise on a daily basis that what it is that we face in our lives, what it is that we are going through, and let's just be honest this morning, We all go through difficult times, things that don't really make any sense to us. All of this is in many ways the first page of the introduction of a massive, massive, massive book, which is our lives. 
as followers of Jesus, we have eternity to look forward to. And it will be way more satisfying and fulfilling than anything that this life has to offer. We will appear with Christ in glory. We will be glorified. All pain and hurt and suffering is going to disappear. And our lives will be full of Jesus for billions and billions and billions of years. Praise God. Is that good news? People are like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try and get your head around that. That reality of eternity and the fact that we will be glorified. What a great hope this is. No matter what it is that we go through, we can know with certainty that God will have the last word on all of our pain and suffering. And every wrong will be righted in Jesus' name. So embrace this promise of heaven because you're closer to it today than you've ever been. It will be a billion times better than anything this world can offer. And what happens here on earth will carry eternal impact in what you will experience in heaven. What you do here on earth will have eternal effect in heaven for eternity. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 and verses 17 to 18, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, if you stand on top of this foundation, God has rescued me. God is empowering me. God will glorify me. And all that you find yourself doing in your life, then surely, surely it will cause you to worship. With all that you are, you will worship God. And as you worship God with all that you are, then you will give your absolute all to whatever it is that you're doing. And as you give your absolute all to whatever it is you're doing, it will result in intentional excellence, which will result in joy within your heart as you see how God is working in you. So again, understand, when we think about excellence, we're not focusing on excellence. We're focusing on the one who is excellent. And this leads to worship, which leads to wholeheartedness in what we're doing, which results in God-glorifying excellence and joy. So let me just direct you back to those three things that you need to do this week. One of those or perhaps two or three of those are difficult, something you're maybe not looking forward to. So I want you just to picture yourself doing those things. And as you're doing those things, preaching to yourself, Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Praying to God and thanking him for Colossians 3 and verses 1 to 4. These foundational verses. God has rescued me. God, I thank you that you have rescued me. As you're doing these difficult things you need to do this week. God is empowering me. God, I thank you that you are empowering me. God will glorify me. God, I thank you that you will one day glorify me. And you see yourself doing that. My prayer is that we would do that in the midst of all that we're doing this week. As you're doing these things in your week, preaching to yourself and praying to God in light of these three realities, you will in turn give your all to the tasks that, you're, that are in front of you. And will it not in turn result in excellence and result in joy that's satisfying to God? That's my prayer. You know, Paul does something similar in Romans 12 and verses 6 to 8. He begins this part of his letter to the Romans with these words, according to the grace given to us. According to the grace given to us. In other words, in light of the fact that God has rescued you, in light of the fact that God is empowering you, in light of the fact that God will glorify you, Paul continues in verse 1, we have different gifts. If prophecy, 
use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So if God has done all of this for you, then use your gifting in a certain way, in a manner that God would expect you to use it, and in the manner that God will equip you to use it. The reality is you could prophesy, you could serve, you could teach, you could exhort, you could give, you could lead, you could show mercy in a way that's not really of God, but does in fact displease God. We can do, we can practice the gifts that God has given to us in a way that doesn't really glorify God. You could do it half-heartedly. You could do it with sin in your life. You could do it with ulterior motives. And the reality is that God is not just concerned with what we do, but also how we do it and why we do it. So it's all about the heart. The Christian life is all about the heart. We can give us appearance of, of doing well and, and playing the Christian game, but ultimately God looks at the heart. Man looks at outward appearance. God looks at the heart. When we put God at the centre of our what, how and why, then excellence will follow and the spiritual fruit of joy will be produced within our lives. Seems easy enough. We see who we are and we see what in turn we need to do resulting in intentional excellence. But the truth is, it's more complicated for us because as well as being saints, we're people transformed and changed by God's grace. New creations. We're still sinners. We don't always live in light of who we are and in the way that God calls us to live. We still have this brokenness inside us and we always in our lives daily fall short of the standard that God has set for us. Every day is a day where we choose whether or not we're going to live in the flesh or live in the spirit. To be intentionally excellent in a manner that's biblical and a manner that glorifies God is to live in the power of the spirit against all that the world, the flesh and the devil might do to take us away from this kind of life. Every day is a battle. So as we close, let me just highlight one particular obstacle to intentional excellence. Surely as I was spending time this week thinking about this subject, this is the one that really just stood out. And it manifests itself in various ways. And I'm going to focus on two ways it manifests. But one particular area that prevents us from loving God and living for him with all that we are, which in turn results in excellence. It's very hard to give our best when we're giving our best to something else. It's very hard to give our best when we're giving our best to something else. An idol is when a thing, a thing in our lives, and it could be a good thing or a bad thing, becomes a God thing. Instead of worshipping God, we worship this thing in our lives. And we know it's worship because we put it before God. That's the test. We have a choice to, to live for God or live for this particular thing. We put that first. That's when we know it's idolatry and it's sinful. So as we think about our passage this morning, verse 17 and verses 23 to 24, it's impossible to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If our hearts are captivated and consumed by something else within our lives, and in the same manner, it's impossible to do something from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. If in fact we are focused on and living for something other than the Lord. If in fact we're looking beyond the one who has rescued us, renewed us and redeemed us, and we're gazing our eyes towards something else, it's impossible to live for God if our eyes are fixed on something else. So for example, 
These are the two examples I'm going to focus on. Um, if your idol is laziness, if your idol is laziness, if your attitude more often than not is one of, that will do. When it comes to the work that God has given you to do in any given day, you will not find yourself worshipping God. If your attitude is, that will do, you will not worship God. Why would you? Laziness is a worship of self, meaning there's no room to worship your creator and your saviour, your redeemer. And may we never be like this as a church family. Let's just be really honest. Let us not be a lazy church. May we always give our very best in the power that God gives to us. May we never find ourselves in a situation where we're serving a church here with an attitude of that'll do. It's an enemy of worship. It's the opposite of excellence. It's fueled by a lazy and slothful heart. And if you find yourself saying that will do to yourself or to someone else, and whether that relates to your own life and the work you need to do or a particular ministry that God has given to you within the context of the church, understand that this is not who God has called you to be. This is not part of God's design and plan for your life. He's got so much more for you. A life of giving your all and not one of giving some of who you are a fraction of what you can give and what you can do. I was watching the, the Sir Alex Ferguson documentary on Amazon Prime uh, a couple of months ago and I was fascinated by something that he said. Now, take note, Sir Alex is one of the most famous people to ever come out of Glasgow. He's arguably the most successful football manager of all time. And in this documentary, he says he's in his late 70s, he's just recovered from a stroke, and he highlights something he learned very early on in his managerial career. He said, in his success with Aberdeen and Manchester United, he understood that human beings have a propensity to cut corners. They say in their hearts and minds that phrase we've just spoken about, that'll do. He pointed out that people always want the easy way out. They don't want to do the necessary work they need to do in order to achieve the goals and aims that are in front of them. They convince themselves they can do it with less effort, with a half-hearted spirit. The phrase he uses is cutting corners, finding the easy way out. And as I was watching this, it struck me, this is, this is so true. And I don't know about you guys, but my assessment is there's something about being Scottish, and I'm, I'm talking to, to the Scottish folk here, and particularly being a Scottish man of a youngish age, 20s, 30s, 40s, that can glorify, that can be proud of laziness. And it's almost like we're not really men until we've learned what it means to slouch on a couch and do nothing. And honestly, I'm speaking to, to the men here. It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare for the women and the children in your life. And it's a disgrace to the name of Jesus. It's contrary to who God has called you to be. It's a dereliction of duty. So stop living your life with a that-will-do attitude and start living in light of the grace that he has given to each one of us. Love with your whole heart. Give your all. See excellence and experience joy. So that's my challenge to the guys here and to the guys watching. Perhaps your idol is not laziness. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's the opposite of that, which... Some people would argue it's just a form of laziness. Still try to get my head around that, but <laughs> perhaps your life is such that your diary is too full. You're trying to do too much in the limited time you have. And the result is that you find yourself just getting stuff done. 
because you're so overwhelmed by the demands of your diary. Your diary is dictating your heart. And the result is your life of work becomes a life of just ticking boxes. You're just doing all these things you need to do. You've got a long to-do list and you're just getting them all done. But there's no real heart in what you're doing because you're doing it in the name of business and not in the name of Jesus. And what can often happen as a result of this kind of life is you find yourself going through the motions completely disconnected from the love that God has called you into. You don't do what you're called to do with a love for God and with all that you are and it just results in this disconnected reality from God. Busyness becomes an idol when we think that unless we're busy, God will not be pleased with us. This happens. Particularly in ministry, we can try and justify ourselves before God through our many different activities and work. And we almost communicate, I'm busy as a way of saying, I'm, I'm doing really well here. It's an enemy of the gospel. To live in this way means we do not live out Ephesians 2.10, where Paul highlights, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So God prepared these good works for us to do. We just need to step into these works. We don't need to compile all these different things to then justify ourselves before God and before other people. It's a very much a spirit-filled and spirit-led life. God has prepared good works for us to do. Now, will we let him lead us in the power of his spirit? Will we do the big and small tasks of life out of a love for him, resulting in intentional excellence? Brother Lawrence he was a 17th century monk who stood out from his contemporaries. And most of what we know about Lawrence in terms of his life and his teaching is found in his book, The Practice of the Presence of God. Um, which I would highly recommend, especially in 2021, and just how crazy life can be. But his life was pretty ordinary. Most of his time as a monk was found in the monastery kitchen. And it was here that he developed a life of worship, a life that results in intentional excellence. And Lawrence wrote this, and it'll be up on the screen for us. Men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? See, for Lawrence, the issue was not, which I've already said, it's not what he did, but rather what drove him, what motivated him as he did it. What was his heart? Why was he doing it? Who was he doing it for? He could do something that appeared to be sacred or appeared to be worldly. But more important than appearance for Lawrence was the heart, why he was doing it. And Lawrence continues, he says, Nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying in the pan for love of him. And that done, if there is nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself and worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. So, there are many things you can do within the life of this church. Now imagine what our lives would be like. Imagine what our church would be like if we served God and others as Lawrence served God and others wholly for the love of him. Imagine what that would look like as a community. Imagine 
how we would appear to those who don't know Christ in this city. Surely they would see Christ in us. May it be the case that intentional excellence is always rooted in a love for God and a desire to please him, no matter what it is that we do, big or small, sacred or worldly. So this morning, as we come into a time of worship, maybe you're with us here and or watching online and you recognise that you just need a fresh infilling of God's Spirit, a touch of his grace, so that you can be someone who loves God wholeheartedly with all that you do and who lives a life exhibiting intentional excellence. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you would like prayer for this so that your heart, your life, your work ethic, your mentality is renewed. Then do speak to us after the service. Or maybe you've never made a choice to follow Jesus. Maybe you've never decided to put him first in your life. Then again, do speak to us after the service. We would count it a privilege to pray with you as you make that choice to live for him, to make Jesus your anchor. Most important, God first in all that you are as you hand over your sin to him and as you receive his goodness and grace. If you love Jesus, we also invite you to come to the table. And this table represents all that God has done for us through his son, Jesus. We do this every week. And honestly, it's one of my, my favourite points in our service. We come to this table and we just take a moment to realise all that God has done for us. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So we take this bread and we drink this cup and it is an act of, of worship and celebration, but it's also an act of, of reverence and remembrance. We take a moment to thank God and to be aware day after day, minute after minute, how faithful he has been to us in every moment and in every situation. So there are opportunities for us to respond now as we sing together. Before we do this, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you for this time and we thank you that, that you are a faithful God who, who works in us, who, who walks uh, before us and who helps us to live a life that reflects you and glorifies you. And we pray, Lord, that as we have thought about the subject of intentional excellence, that you would continue to speak to us, not just this morning, but as we go into the rest of this week. We pray that you would bless us and you would be with us. May you minister to us as we now respond in these various ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.